Glad you're here. May the blessings of the Lord be with you this morning. Um, if you'll find your way back, I want to pray with you. Um, I feel like I've got an awesome message this morning, so I'm, I'm, ho- I'm hoping you're ready. Um, let's just pray. And, uh, you know, David said uh, in Psalm 139, he said, Search me, O Lord, and try me, and see if there's anything in my heart that you don't like. And I'm just going to ask us to do that for just a moment this morning. Let's just take a moment just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We just simply say, Holy Spirit, just take that, your searchlight, and search me. And Lord, if there's something I said or did this week or maybe this morning, um, Lord, we just ask that you would forgive our sins. Lord, uh, Micah in chapter 7, who is a God that's like you that wipes the slate clean, that delights in mercy and will take all of our sins and cast them to the bottom of the sea. Is there anyone like you? And church, I would say, is there anyone like him? I heard one no. Anybody else believe that? No, there's nobody like our God. Amen. He is awesome. We serve an awesome God. Let's give him some shouts and praise in the house of God this morning. I mean, he he is a good God. All right, so um, last week uh, we started in Genesis chapter 1. We started talking about um, the the premise that, uh, and it's only a 19th century uh, idea that that the earth is an old earth. And, uh, you know, scientists have said, you know, that, you know, we live in a earth that's uh, billions and billions of, of years old. Some say as, as long as 54 billion years. Um, in, on uh, July the 20th, uh, 1969, Apollo 11 with Neil Armstrong and uh, Buzz Aldrin, I believe was his name, both stepped out on the moon. But prior to that, Scientists have speculated if the earth was as old as it is, as as many scientists say that it is, 54 billion years old, that there could be as much as three feet of cosmic um, dust, uh, um, you know, just kind of like floating through the universe. It gradually, um, you know, uh, builds up. So in 1950, when, uh, in, in, in the uh, early 50s, a guy by the name of Hans Peterson went to the top of the tallest mountain that he could find and ran some air through a filter and measured dust in the filter. And he concluded that the very most 15, 15 million tons of dust was arriving yearly from outer space here on Earth and guessed that not all of the dust was from space. So he thought about a third of that, 5 million tons, uh, was more likely the figure. He wrote an article about it uh, in February of 1960, um, the uh, scientific, uh, sci- in a magazine called The Scientific American. And there was a big hoopla because uh, Peterson, who did an atmospheric, atmospheric dust test and predicted how much dust was actually be found on the moon if it was young. And how much did he find if it were old? Or how much he would find if it were old? Several feet of dust, if it was an old, 54 billion old universe, earth, moon, and only a few inches of dust 
if it was young. Um, go to these slides, if you would, please. I hope I've got them there. Look at this. This is Apollo 11. And you can see those large shoes and those large legs extending from Apollo 11. You know why they're that long? Because scientists believe that when it landed, they were going to land in three feet of cosmic dust. Go to the next one. That's, his, that's Neil Armstrong's footprint. There's about three inches of dust there. The next slide, please. And you can just compare. I think you can see one of the astronauts there compared to the legs of Apollo 11. And so last week we started in Genesis chapter 1. And, uh, and let me just say this. I just want to get this out of the way. Whether you believe that the earth is billions of years old or like the Bible says, a, a six days of creation. I believe the Bible, for, frankly, that's what I believe. I believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, and there's nothing that's impossible with God. If he wanted to create everything in one day, he could have done it. Uh, but he chose an order of creation, six days of creation. But it has nothing to do with your salvation. Am I going to go to hell if I think the earth is 54 billion years old? No. Um, are you going to go to hell if you think the earth is six days old or go to heaven? No. It takes faith. It takes salvation. And uh, so I want to just use that as a, my springboard this morning, going back to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 14, because there's some importance in creation. And, and if, you, if, you, if you really want to understand this, and you need to you know, kind of have it right in your mind, um, because, you know, my thought is that it's exactly what the devil did to Adam and Eve. If they could get, if he could get Adam and Eve to question any, anything in God's word, that, you know, it was all downhill from there. There's no, there, there's no door left unopened if he can get you to begin to question God's word. We talked about there were 2,300 times in the Bible that talked about an evening and a morning. We see that in 30... Uh, one cha uh, 31 verses of Genesis uh, chapter 1, the, the name God is mentioned 32 times. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ten words you should never forget. It should be like John 3.16 to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the first three days of creation, he created spaces. We noticed on the, on the first day that created light or light. He is light. He didn't create light. There was light there. There was light and darkness uh, on the first day, but yet we didn't see the sun and the moon and the stars until the fourth day of creation. And then he created the, um, the atmospheres, the water, the atmosphere, the air in between. Then he created another space uh, separating the waters from the land. These were all spaces that were created to be filled by objects and by life. And then we see on the fourth day, and uh, I'm not going to go through the whole uh, chapter of Genesis again, but I want to pick up and use um, verse 14 as our springboard for this morning. And God said, let there be light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for, listen to this, for signs. He's putting, putting light in the heaven for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the firmament of the heaven, giving light to the earth, and so it was. And God made two great lights. Notice he didn't call them sun and moon. He called a greater light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. Another translation, uh, this is called God's word translation. 
And uh, it says, and God said, let there be light in the sky to separate day from night. And this will be signs that will, well, that will mark religious festivals, days and years. Okay? So he's saying that he's putting these, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Jewish calendar has always been a, um, a lunar calendar, a 30-day 30 30 day calendar. We're on a Gregorian calendar. It's a pagan calendar. You know, when you think about even the days of our week, uh, Saturday uh, represents Saturn, the, the, the god of Saturn. Sunday represents the sun god. Monday represents the moon god. Wednesday, the wind god. Thursday, Thor, the God, the, all of these are pagan days. But God's days are, are numbered one through seven. And uh, they were, the, the days were created, or the, 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 the sun, the moon, the stars were created um, to be light and to mark religious festival days and years. And then the scripture says in, um, in Luke chapter 21, 25, in the end times, he says that there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations. I want you to hear that. In the last days that there's going to be distress of nations. If we're not seeing that played out right now, I'll visit that more in just a moment. But if we're not seeing that played out, I don't remember a time in my life that I haven't seen as such great distress and problems among nations as we're seeing today. And it says the sea waves roaring. And men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the power of heaven will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up. Don't panic. No reason to get a, you know, be alarmed. No, no reason to run to the medicine cabinet and OD on some drugs or something. No, no need to take a bottle of Tylenol. You know, just look up. The Bible says when you see these things happening, look up because your salvation, your redemption, that Jesus is getting closer. The Bible says that today our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Do you believe that? I mean, you know, today we are closer to God than you were yesterday, last week, and last year. So I want to give you, I just want to run through this quickly because this is really just, this is, not, this is part of my message, but this is not all of it. But I want to give you some examples of how this works in the Old Testament, both Old and New Testament. How that there are signs in the, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so I want to jump to Joshua. And in uh, Joshua chapter 10, Joshua is in a heated battle. There are five nations after Israel had crossed over. Remember that Moses couldn't take the children of Israel into the promised land. So Joshua was appointed. God told Moses, he says, I want you to anoint him. I want you to encourage him. I want you to give him some instruction. And Joshua was the leader that took the children of Israel into to the promised land. It says, and Joshua ascended from Gilgal. Uh, he and all of his people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them. Five nations coming against you. Do not fear them. I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. And the Lord routed them before Israel and killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran and struck them down at uh, Azekah and Makeda. 
And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran that the Lord cast down large hailstones. We read about that again in Revelation. It says, And the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven as far as Ezekiah, and they died. And were more, there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. And Joshua spoke to the Lord on that day that the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and said in the sight of Israel, now listen to this, guys. I, I, you talk about faith. And we know about, you know, we talked about our universe, uh, you know, uh, traveling at, uh, you know, I think we said 420 million miles an hour. Our, just, this is just our galaxy, and it takes 200 million years to make one circuit for one circuit for this galaxy to make one complete circuit, 200 million years. And we're talking about the billions of galaxies that were out there. And, and Joshua, in the middle of this battle, knowing that it was important to Israel, listened to the faith, listened to the faith that this man has. And we're talking about signs and the sun and the moon, and the stars, and the heaven. And, and to win this battle, Joshua said, Son, stand still. Basically, he's saying, universe, stop. Stop. Stop moving. Stop the 420 million miles an hour moving. Stop in your place. The sun can't go down until we win this battle. And then he says, moon in the valley of Ajalon, he says, and the sun stood still and the moon stopped and the people had their revenge upon their leaders. And so here's a sign. Here's one of the, the first signs that we see in heaven where God listened to a man of God and stopped the universe, stopped the sun in its place so they could complete their battle. And we talked about this a little last week, but I want to cover it again for those of you that may not have been here. We fast forward to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great leader. He's a great godly man. If you look uh, under the list of godly kings, he's noted there. Uh, during his time, Isaiah was prophet. And uh, so this is about six or 700 years before Jesus is born. But uh, Hezekiah got word. And we talked about this last week. He said, get your house in order. What does that mean to us today? That means that if you're living an ungodly life, and you're hearing these words this morning, and you've got sin in your life, and you've kind of put God on the back burner, and it's like sin is, is, you know, in the forefront. You know what the Bible says about sin? That it seems pleasurable for a season. It does. It seems good for a season. We've all enjoyed a season of sin. But God is saying that as we approach these last days, that let's set aside every weight of sin that hinders us from running the race. God doesn't want you to, you know, to show up in heaven with a, you know, a baggage, you know, a lot of sin in your life. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus. And Paul said for this reason, he said, he said that Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so, you know, if, there, if, if there's anything that's going on in your life, I mean, you can just, while I'm talking, you can just say, God, deliver me from this. Get this out of my life. I do not want sin in my life. And so, uh, back to Hezekiah, uh, he gets the word. God says, you're getting ready to die. So, you know, get your house in order. Get your paperwork in order. Get your deeds and your 401ks and get it, everything that you have, get it in order. And uh, um, the, it says, thus said the Lord God of David to your father, I have heard your prayer. This is Hezekiah, 
um, he's, uh, uh, Hezekiah, God is telling Isaiah to go back to Hezekiah and tell the leader, thus says the Lord, because when he heard that word, I mean, I mean, how would you feel? You know, I mean, some of you maybe, maybe have even got that report. You go to the, you know, the doctor's office and, you know, the doctor says, I've got, you know, good news and bad news. And he says, well, let's start with the good news. And the good news is that you're going to die in two weeks. And the guy's like, my gosh, you know, what's the bad news? He says, the bad news is I should have told you yesterday. <laughs> you know, so, but, um, you know, he says, tell Hezekiah, get your, get your house in order. He says, I, and then he says, and Hezekiah begins to break down. He begins to cry, and he's like, Lord, I've served. Look at my life. I've served you. I've been faithful in my service to you. And then God says through Isaiah, he says, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years. Thank you, Elizabeth and B from last week. And uh, I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And then Isaiah said, take a clump of leaves or a lump of figs. And, uh, and he took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what sign, what sign, listen to this, what sign are you going to give me that the Lord is going to heal me that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said to him, this is the sign that you will get from the Lord. The Lord will do the very thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow... On the sundial, or on the stair steps, one, one translation says, shall the shadow go forward like the sun is setting and it would normally go down 10 degrees, or shall, shall it go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah said, well, it's an easy thing for the shadow to go down. It does that every day. But let me see the shadow go back. Back up the sun. Let me watch the sundial and watch the shadow back up 10 degrees on the sundial, and then I will know that the sign that you're giving me. The sun, the, the, the sign is coming from the sun. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And it's, um, and so Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow back 10 degrees backwards and it had gone, uh, by which it had gone down on the sundial. And then he says, I will show, this is from Joel, I will show wonders in the heaven and the earth, blood, fire, and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and the great awesome day of the Lord. And it shall, shall come to pass that whosoever, listen to this, whosoever, that includes everyone in this room today, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. I, there's no, uh, no conditions here. You know, I mean, if you've lived a life of sin, if you've been bad, I've been bad, I've been a sinner, you know, I'm a sinner. All of us have been. There are no perfect people in this room. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, not based on how much money you give to the church, how much you read your Bible, you know, how much you beat yourself up, you know, not, not, not based on any of those things, but by faith. It says that Abraham believed in God, and God counted his faith as righteousness. So whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, and God's speaking to someone this morning, and I'm telling you in the quietness of your heart, Call on the name of the Lord. He says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Nina talked about that list last week. You know, there's two lists, those that are saved and those that are not saved. Same thing happened on, when the Titanic sank. And, you know, they were gathering those that, her survived, that had, had survived. And when you came to that port in New York, there were two lists, saved and lost. 
It says in, um, in Matthew chapter 2, again talking about signs in the sun and the moon and the stars in the heaven. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. We have seen his star um, in the east and have come to worship him. And when they heard the king, the king gave them some instruction. When you find the young Christ child, come tell me so I can worship him. We know that really in his heart he wanted to kill the Christ child. It says, and when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced and with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with his Mary, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Revelation chapter 6 says, it's talking about the end of the age. I looked, and when he had opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon like blood. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon shall be turned into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a quote both from Joel chapter 2 and Peter quotes that in Acts chapter 2. And so, again, just a reminder where we're coming from. God said, on the fourth day of creation, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve. Let these signs serve as signs that mark sacred time, festival days, and uh, days and years. So there appears to be a link between what God is doing in the heaven. You know, I think about this often, about, you know, the, um, the wise men coming. And seeing the star, what we call the Bethlehem star. I mean, to me, it's amazing that it took men from another, probably from Babylon. They were probably instructed on the star. They probably counted the days, knowing the time that Christ would be born, knowing the time that Christ would show up. They knew the time that he would enter into the temple. Uh, Psalm 118 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. God made this specific day when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the, on the colt. So is, is it possible? I mean, you know, going through this room right now, there are signals. There's all kinds of signals. There are radio waves that are going through this room right now. There are television waves. There are satellite waves that are going through this room right now. And none of us are picking them up, except those of you that are on your phone right now, um, uh, and texting, and shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I know. Um, most, most of us do use a Bible on our phone. But, but typically, we don't, we don't see those. And so what I'm trying to say, guys, is, you know, I believe that God every night is just like broadcasting. And on a regular basis that God is broadcasting in the heaven through the sun and the moon and the stars. And so I, I want to just kind of, I want to shift. And how many of you have heard um, over the last year or two, there's been a lot of talk about the four blood moons. How many of you have heard about that? And I actually studied it. So about half of you have. So I want to I want to shift from, you know, the signs of, of the heaven to the four blood moons. Um, there have been 60-some-odd 
blood moons since the time of Christ. I think 62. But listen to this. There have only been eight. There were four um, that were prior to, um, well, let me just point them out. Um, they are called lunar eclipses. It's when the moon uh, goes between the sun and the earth. And as it passes through, it makes the, the moon look, um, do, we have a, do we have a slide on that coming up? There you go. That's what it looks like. That's what one of them looks like, right? That's, that's what a blood moon starts looking about when, when we start talking about blood moons. But there have been 60-some-odd 60 blood moons since the time of Christ. Listen to this. There have only been eight, listen, eight back-to-back, listen carefully, in, in almost a, a thousand years of history, there have only been eight back-to-back blood moons that fall on Jewish feast days. Okay, now listen. What did he say? He said, I'm going to give you a sign in the heaven, and they will be signs from the sun and the moon and the stars and for feast days. So in this thousand-year period, and I'm not going to cover the first four, although they're really interesting, just for the sake of time, I'm going to, I want to move forward. But the first one, they either occur just before these, these blood moons, and what you'll have is you'll have uh, two in one year and two in the following year. And so they're, within a one-year period, you have four of these blood, uh, blood moons. A, a lunar eclipse is a sign to Israel. A solar eclipse is a sign to the nations. And, um, and so in 1492... Uh, after living after for Jew, after Jews living in Spain for almost 1,500 years, the Edict of Expedition, or um, the Spanish Inquisition, occurred uh, in 1493, 1494, and there was an edict by Ferdinand and Queen Isabella uh, to evict all Jews from Spain. They had 14, listen to this, they had 14 days to sell their property, get their possessions, and get out of Spain. About the same time, the Jewish, uh, more wealthy Jewish men had money and maps and found an Italian Jew by the name of Christopher Columbus and said, go find us a place that we can live in peace. And he set out on this journey and shortly after that, remember, the blood moons occur either just before, during, or, or these, these events occur just before, during, or shortly after a blood moon. There were four blood moons uh, starting right after 1492, uh, 93, and 94. Four blood moons that happened. Um, as they were, I, I want to just read you a... Um, um, something that was um, written in his, uh, in his journal, if I can find it here. Um, the edict of, of expulsion that Columbus refers to was so cataclysmic an event that ever since the date 1492 has been almost as important in Jewish history as in American history. On July the 30th of that year, the entire Jewish community, some 200,000 people, were expelled from Spain. Tens of thousands of refugees died 
while they were trying to reach safety in some instances. And Spanish ship captains, listen to this, charged Jews, Jewish passengers exorbitant sums of money to get on their boats. And while they were on them, their boats, they dumped them overboard in the middle of the ocean. In the last days before the uh, Spanish Inquisition, rumors spread throughout Spain that the fleeing refugees had swallowed gold and diamonds. And many of the Jews were put to death uh, with their stomachs sliced open looking for treasures in their stomach. Okay, that happened in 1492. That's four, four blood moons. Four blood moons right after that time. Um, in 1948, Israel became a nation for the first time in almost 2,000 years. In 1948, 1949, uh, and 1950, there were four blood moons. Okay? We said that these events happen, these cataclysmic events happen either before, during, or after the blood moon period. The next four blood moons occurred uh, while Israel had become a nation. Uh, they were a nation, but they, didn't, uh, they, they did not have a government set up, and it wasn't until January of 1949, almost a year later, uh, that they established a government, and there were four blood moons, 1949, two in 49, two in 1950. And then we move, we fast forward. These are called... Uh, Tetrads, uh, it means groups of four. Um, now think about it. We're saying there's only been four of these groups of four that fall on feast days since 1492. And then in 1967, while, while the Jews were reinstated to Israel, they had their homeland, they did not have Jerusalem. That Jerusalem was still occupied by the Arabs. And in 1967, the Six-Day War Six nations, almost like, just like happened that we read in Joshua chapter 10. Six nations come up against Israel, and in six days, while there are four blood moons in that year that are going on, 67, 67 and 60, um, 68, uh, it was on June, June, the, June the 6th, but Israel made a preemptive strike the day before on June the 5th and drove out those six nations, four blood moons. So that's three blood moons since 1492. Last year, in uh, the year 2014, two uh, on Passover and two happening this year, okay? We've already gone through three blood moons. The next one will occur, the fourth blood moon will occur on September the 28th of this year. But interesting to note, in addition to the four blood moons, sandwiched between them is a solar eclipse. So not only do you have, just like the chart shows, you have the two blood moons, and I can't quite read the date, but uh, uh, on, we see the solar eclipse in the middle, and then uh, on Passover again, and then Sukkoth this year, September the 28th. And, and, and people believe, and theologians and Jews alike believe, and I want you to just consider this just for a moment. The things that have happened just in the last year. In the last year, um, we've had nuclear threats. We're trying to, our nation is trying to arm Iran. There's been a war. I was there last year in August of last year when there was a war between Israel and Hamas when the three teenage boys were murdered by Hamas, the terrorist group. We've seen the rise of ISIS. 
an emergence of the new uh, Syria, a new Iraq. Uh, terrorism is increasing around the world. This is all happening in the last year. Anti-Semitism is on march in Europe. And even here in America, there are many college campuses that are endorsing anti-Semitism. They feel like Israel is dealing too hard of a blow to their enemies. Um, there are continued attempts with the world or by the world, the United Nations, for Israel to give up land. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Um, the, the land, listen to this, from, from Leviticus chapter 25. The land is not theirs to give. They don't own the land. They occupy the land, but the land is not theirs to give. Listen to this carefully. The land must never be sold. And right now, our government, our nation, and our president is trying to create a two-state system in Israel, giving the Palestinians part of the land and giving the Jews the other part of the land. But the Word of God says the land must never be sold on a permanent basis. That's why we have the year of Jubilee. And you can sell off a portion of your land, but at the end of 50 years, it reverts back to the family or someone in the family. He says, the land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenants and farmers working for me. Doesn't that sound like what we talked about last week when we were talking about uh, Adam being in the garden? You're a gardener. You work here. I own the garden, God says. The garden of Eden is mine. I own it. You are just a tenant or a servant in the garden is what God is saying. And so over the last year, uh, we talked about some of these things. We see uh, ISIS just, I mean, just all over the world, uh, you know, just taking city after city and country after country, uh, the overrun of Iraq. Uh, we see Iran wanting the nuclear we weapons, as I, we discussed earlier, and our president trying to help them achieve that goal. We see this problem with Syria, Libya. We see, we've seen, th this is just in the last year, the invasion of Russia into the Ukraine. We've seen long winters back east, unusually long winters back east. We see drought in California like they've never experienced it. And a, what was predicted to be a 20-year flood, or excuse me, a 20-year drought in Texas. They were 15 years into a 20-year drought. They were 18 inches or almost 20 inches short of rain, ended in a 24-hour period. The drought was over. We've seen in the last year the beheading of Christians. Never seen that before. Never in my lifetime. Maybe it's been out there. I've never seen it. I've never seen it on the news. And I've never seen our nation withdraw its support and help from Israel like I have over the last few years. We are living and perilous and dangerous times. And the Bible says, and you know, I, unfortunately politicians won't get this, but the Bible says, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. And when our nation stands against Israel, in a sense, maybe you're not doing it, I'm not doing it, but in a sense, our representatives are doing it, and we will suffer the consequences. Just like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was, he wasn't an evil man. He wasn't a sinner. He wasn't a, you know, an outrageous man. But he suffered the consequences of going into Babylon, being taken into captivity when, you know, when he was a godly man. He kept warning, warning after warning after warning, and the people would not listen to him. So what do we do? What do we do? 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, now when these things begin to happen, look up. We're getting closer. It says that your redemption, your, your redemption, our Lord is drawing near. Salvation is closer today than it's ever been. In, um, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so I, I want to just shift from that from just a moment. Because it's easily, you know, we can easily be distracted from all the things that are going on in the world. I mean, you look at that, you know, you look at that chart, and we think that we've got one more blood moon. What's going to happen? I mean, what could happen? Who knows? I mean, we see ISIS on the rise. We see terrorism. I mean, we've seen, you know, the fall of the Twin Towers. You know, we've seen all of these things. We, we see nations that, you know, that have, have, uh, no embarrassment about saying that they want to see the destruction of America and death to Israel. I mean, we hear it all the time by leaders of nations. And now some of these nations are starting to gather together. And we know from uh, Zechariah chapter 12 that, um, and Jesus even says himself in Matthew chapter 24, that when you see all the nations in the world, and there's something that's going to happen, you know, Iran wants a, a, a nuclear bomb. Um, I'm afraid they may get one, but not in the way they anticipate. Uh, Israel might just happen, happen to send them one. Uh, and, and, and really, I mean, when I say that, it may sound like I'm hard-hearted uh, or, or against Palestinian or Arabs, and I'm not. I'm just saying that, you know, that if someone is bent on your destruction, and this is what the Word of God says, if the good man of the house would have known in what hour the thief was going to break in and rob and destroy and, and kill his family and destroy his home, he would have stayed awake. He would have been awake. He would have been alert. And, and all we're saying, we had last Wednesday night, we had Irving Roth. Guys, you missed an incredible testimony by this guy. I, he must be in his 80s right now, but he, was, uh, he went into a concentration camp when he was 14 years old. And he said that, you know, that when he was, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, that life was good. It was just like the life that you have right now and perhaps the life that your children have. You wake up every day. You know, it's a beautiful day. The sun's shining. You go to school. You go play in the parks. You have friends down the street, baseball, basketball, all of those things. Life is good. And then he said he went one day to the park, and the park said, no Jews allowed. And he couldn't play in the park. And consequently, he couldn't play with his friends. And then the schools fired all of the Jewish teachers. There were no Jewish teachers allowed to teach in the, in the schools, in, in the public school system. And then he said that no Jew was allowed to own a business. And so all Jews had to sell their businesses. And this is the one that broke my heart, that he had a good friend that was a Christian. And he went to him and he says, you know, because of this law that's recently been passed, I can't own a business. And I will give you $1,000 a month to take over my business. And his friend, his quote Christian friend, agreed to do that. But after a period of time, his quote Christian friend became greedy and $1,000 was not enough. He needed $2,000 a month. And then pretty soon he comes to him and he says, you know what, you're out. I own the whole business. And then he says that when they went from that to rounding up and gathering Jews and putting them on cattle cars. Some of you probably don't even know what those are, but if you look at 
years ago, that's the way they you ship cattle from, you know, from the plains to everywhere in, the, in, in America. Load up cattle in a car. You know, there'd be some straw down there. But can you imagine? I think he said they were two days in a cattle car. Can you imagine going two days without a shower or having to go to the bathroom over in a corner while that thing is just jam-packed? I mean, just standing room only. And then when he got off of the car, he thought, well, life will be okay. It will get back to normal. But he said that there was an officer standing there. You go right, you go left. You go right, you go left. And he thought in his mind, in his mind he thought, his naive mind he thought, Oh, they're going to let us go take a shower. But the showers turned out to be gas chambers where they were killed. We are living in some desperate times. You know what? That was only about 60 or 70 years ago that that happened. And it seems like it's been erased from our mind. And there are those that want to rewrite history. The Iranians say it never happened. Uh, they say it was just all made up by the Jews so they can gain, they can gain sympathy uh, from the world. But I want to close with just a couple of points here. We're living in the middle of all of that. And it's so easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for you to get distracted because we can become focused on the fear factor and, you know, and miss our place, miss our calling. As I mentioned to you last week, that God, when you were created, that God had a plan and a purpose. We have that scripture written, Jeremiah chapter 29. Maybe you've never noticed it, but the next time you go to the water fountain out in the foyer or you go to the bathroom, just look up and you'll see Jeremiah 29, 11. And the scripture says, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for good and for a hope and for a future. That's God's plans for you. When you were born, you know, Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, God says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And so as we see all of these waves of things, I mean, there's evil in the world. I mean, yesterday I was asked to do a funeral for a 22-year-old girl, a 20, beautiful 22-year-old girl that Nina and I knew. I mean, we've known her. Uh, she used to board her, her horse at uh, our stable uh, when we were uh, years ago in El Dorado. And, uh, I mean, just, you know, attractive, beautiful, had so much going on for her. And uh, she lost her life to a drug overdose on Memorial Day. 22 years old. 22 years old. Guys, I mean, I know that, you know, especially young folks, I, we think we're invincible. I've been there. I mean, we can do anything. We can leap tall buildings with single bounds. and We can stop freight trains and... All of those kind of things. But I want to just tell you that, you know, that James says about life, that your life is like a vapor that you see on your morning coffee cup. And you see it for a little while, and then it's gone. And he says, that's the way life is. And that's why God told um, Hezekiah, he says, get your house in order. Make sure you have a right relationship with me. There's no sin that you've ever committed, you know, now, let me just make a comment here. You know, last uh, week, I wanted to say this earlier. I actually meant to say it a couple of weeks ago. But um, we, a couple of weeks ago, we had, you know, and I've talked to pastors since. You know, we have a, I meet with a group of pastors uh, monthly, and I was telling them about the baptism that we've had here at the Light. And no one can ever remember 
even in their own churches, of having a baptism as large as we had where 41 people were baptized in this church. You know, now, I, I, think, I thank God for that. But let me just tell you something, guys. As soon as you identify, that's what you're saying. And we've already had, I've already had seven, I think seven other people that have come up to me and said they too want to be baptized. So we'll be scheduling another baptism soon. But baptism doesn't make you perfect. You understand that? I mean, we're still sinners. We're still sinners. And I know that as soon as you come up out of the water, you have this mindset that, man, life is, life is going to be perfect now. No, no more sin, no more temptation. But that's not the way it is. You're just doing it. It's just an outward demonstration that I am a sinner and I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. And, and I, want, I, I want to acknowledge to the world that he is my Lord and my Savior and that he has washed away my sins and that he will continue to wash away my sins whether I stumble today or tomorrow or next week. Whenever I stumble, Jesus is there for me. And so if you were watching people get out of this water thinking they were perfect people, you, you had the wrong mindset. You know, we're all still sinners. All right, let me, let me press on through this. So the, my point in saying all of that with the blood moons and, you know, we've got one more coming in, in uh, September the 28th. What's, what's going to happen? What could possibly happen? I don't know. I'm not telling you the rapture's coming. I'm not telling you that ISIS is invading. I'm, I'm just saying that in, in the past, history has shown that when you have back-to-back blood moons on Jewish feast days, typically something happens. And it's usually centered around Israel if it's a lunar blood moon, and it's usually centered around the nations if it's a solar blood moon. And in this next 18-month period, we're going to have five, uh, four blood moons and a solar eclipse. So what do we do? Well, first of all, uh, I want to just tell you, you stay the course. You don't give up. You don't move left or right. You're not moved. You're not shaken. Uh, Job said, Job said, even though he slay me, he's talking about him and God. He said, you know, I, I'm not sure. He didn't even understand what was going on in his own life. But he said, even though God slay me, I'm still going to put my trust in him. I'm going to put my faith in him. I have nowhere else to go. And so I want to talk to you about three connections. One is the party connection. And it says that this is from Luke chapter uh, 14. He says, then he also said to him who invited him, Jesus speaking to the guest or, or the host that invited him to the party. He says that when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, least they also invite you back and you're repaid. You are repaid. I mean, how many times does that happen? You invite somebody to your house and they're like, okay, okay, next time it's on us. Or you take somebody to lunch and it's like next time it's on, on that happened to me Friday. You know, I bought this guy lunch. And he's like, all right, it's on me this time. And I went to the best restaurant I could find. So, uh, <laughs> no, seriously, I, I didn't. But um, he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor. Now listen, he said, the, the, he said, least they also invite you back and repay you. They want to repay you. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. That word, we, we know that word to mean happy. You will be happy. It's happened to, I mean, it's happened to all of us. 
I mean, those of you especially that go down and serve the homeless, you know, I mean, you walk away from there feeling better, you know, than the people that you just fed. It was just like, boom, man, that was, that was awesome. I mean, I felt so good about that. I'd do that when I did the jail ministry. I'd walk, I mean, there'd be, I, I dread going there all day long. It's like, Lord, I, I've got a list of things to do. I've got to hurry up and get home, get prepared for tomorrow. And then it's like, okay, it's Tuesday night, time to go to the jail. And I was like, oh, God, I don't want to go. And then I'd convince myself to go, and I'd come out of there, and I'm like, yes! That was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was a, God, thank you for letting me go. He says, but you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. He says, for you shall be repaid. Listen to this. You will be repaid. You understand this, that God is going to repay you when? In the resurrection of the just. The Bible talks about the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. That word means, that word repay in Greek means apodidomai. I will pay you back. God is saying that when you do something for this person right here, that in the resurrection, I'm going to pay you back for what you did. Apodidomai, all right? And um, probably one of the best examples in the scripture comes from the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me share it with you. A certain man went down to Jerusalem, to Jericho. He fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on the other side of the road. But a, good, a certain Samaritan, remember, you know the story between Samaritans and Jews. There was a rift between them. They didn't like each other. The Jews considered them half-breeds, and they were, in a sense, because the king of Samaria had made his people, after conquering, after Assyria had conquered Israel, took his men and women and made them intermarry. Um, and thus, we have the group of people called Samaritans. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus talking to this lady that was from Samaria, it says, but a good Samaritan, or a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came by where he was. This man's lying there, half dead, bleeding, uh, beat up and robbed. And it says, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went and had him bandaged up, um, bandaged up his wounds, poured in oil on the wine, and set him on his own animal, and brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when the Samaritan departed, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, Take care of him, listen, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Apodidomai. Apodidomai. I will repay you. Whatever you're doing. This is what God is saying to you, that whatever you do in his name. Remember, the scripture says that, that even if you give a, cold of, uh, a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. God's saying, I will repay you. So all of us have something to give. I mean, everybody's got a cup of cold water. If you don't, come to my house. I'll give you one. Uh, Apodidomai, I will repay you. The second point is, that the first is the party connection. The second is the persecution connection. It says, blessed, remember, happy are you when men hate you. I mean, I mean, who wants to be hated? Nobody wants to be hated. I don't want to be hated. You don't either. I mean, none of us do. But the bottom line is that there will be people that because they hated Jesus, Jesus said, you know, the servant is not greater than the master. What they've done to me, they'll do to you. Because they hated me, they're going to hate you as well. And so, yeah, you know, it's just what you sign up for. 
You know, it's what we sign up for, knowing that we're going into this where there are going to be those that do not agree with us. They don't agree with us philosophically. They don't agree with us biblically. They just won't agree with us, and consequently, they will, in some extreme cases, take your head off. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And then he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Listen, why? Why should I leap for joy? And what's the purpose of that? I don't want to leap for joy when people hate me. But he says, indeed, your reward in heaven or will be great in heaven for in, like, in a like manner their fathers did so to the prophet. Now here, it's different. It's a little bit different word. It means misthos. And what that means is the paycheck, that your reward. God is going to give you a paycheck for something that you've done here on earth, something that you've earned, uh, meals that you've given, money that you've given, time that you've given, love and prayers that you've given. God is saying that I am going to repay you, that he doesn't expect you to work for free. And he says that he's going to repay you. There, you, there are wages that you are earning. There, are check, there is a check that he is going to write you in that day. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, you know, another example of this, and I'm going to try to move through this quickly. Remember Gamaliel, uh, Paul said that he was instructed under this, this teacher of the law. When the apostles were arrested for preaching the gospel, it says, a teacher of the law that was held in respect by all the people commanded the Jewish leaders to put the apostles outside for a little while. And Gamaliel said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. He's talking to the, the chief priests and the rabbis and uh, the Sanhedrin and all of the leaders there. You know, they're about to beat. They want to beat the apostles and throw them in jail. He says, men of Israel, take heed to yourself what you intend to do regarding these men. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, if their plan, if this plan of this is of, of men, it will come to nothing. It'll just wither away. I said, but if it's of God, he said, you cannot stop it. You can't overthrow it. Least you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. I love this. It says they agreed with him. And when they called the apostles uh, to come in, they beat them anyway. It's like, okay, I agree with you. We're going to leave them alone. But take them over there and beat them first. Um, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so they departed from the presence of the council. Listen how they departed. They reparted, They departed. Blessed. They were rejoicing. They were, they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple, they didn't quit doing what they were doing. They were staying the course. Guys, that's my, that's my word for you this morning. Stay the course regardless of what's going on in this world around you. Stay the course. And daily they were in the temple and in every house. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. And again, 1 Timothy chapter 5.18, it says the scripture says... You shall not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. The laborer, listen, the laborer is worthy of his wages, his misthos. He's going to get paid. The laborer is going to get paid. You're going to get paid. Somebody say, get paid. All right. How about let's say it with a little more enthusiasm. Get paid. All right. I like it. All right, finally, last point here. The postponement connection. So we see that party connection, we see the persecution connection, 
And then we see that there is a postponement connection. And what he means by this, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever desires to save his life, that's what we do when we see all of these things happening around us, ISIS and Russia and Iran and nuclear and the economy and, you know, food and floods and drought, and we see all of those things. And you know what it makes you want to do? I mean, I mean, honestly, haven't you ever thought about, let's just, man, I want to go to the mountains. I want to, get, I want to get in my cabin. I want to get in a cave. I want to close the door behind me. Just let the world go on. I know Jim, Jim thinks about that every Thursday. He goes to his ranch in Raton. It's like, I'm getting away from this. And, you know, I mean, but honestly, how many of you ever thought about that? It wouldn't have been just, I'd just like to check out. You know, we have. We've, we all think that. But, you know, the, we, don't, we know deep in our heart that while it's, it, would, it would, might be good for us, might not be good for, for Riley if I left, or your grandson or your grandchild or your son or your daughter. Might not be good for them. They need someone that's steady and strong and can point the way, just like John said. This, there you right there, there he goes. There's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the world. Follow him. Follow him. No matter what happens, hell or high water, follow him. Follow him. All right. It says, for whosoever desires to save his life or lose his life, or will lose his life, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it of a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in glory, with the glory of his Father and with his angels. And listen, he will reward according to his works. He will apoditomize. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. These are the last words of Jesus. Think about it. Revelation chapter 22, the last words of Jesus. He says, my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to his work. He uses the two words there together. The, the, very, the last thing that Jesus says was the first thing that was on his mind as he was leaving. I will apoditomize. I will pay you back. I will miss those. I will give you a check. I will give you a check for the labor because you laid down your life for me. Um, there will be sun, signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations with, perplex with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring and men's hearts failing them from fear. Let me back up. And on the earth distress. On the earth, distress. I want, to, I want you to stand with me. And I want to, I'm going to close with this one scripture here. This is from 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. And you know this as the prayer of Jabez. Okay? You know his, his name means distress. Jabez's name means distress. It says that he was more distinguished. He stood out. Like, I believe that you do. When you walk out these doors, you don't just walk out the same way you came in. You walk out as people that have heard the Word of God, hopefully inspired by the Word of God, filled by the Holy Ghost, filled with the Word of God, and you're ready to tell somebody about what happened in church today. I hope that's the way you go out. But he was more distinguished, just like you, than any of his brothers. And his mother named him Jabez, 
because she had such a hard time in his birth. Jabez means distress. And what we just read, it says that, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and the stars and on the earth distress. And what do we do? And we can go out and we can face a storm. Uh, we can be like the disciples cowering down in the boat, you know, just kind of hiding. Jesus, wake up, wake up, Jesus. Can't you see this big storm going on? Can't you see the storm? We're all, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. Well, you know what? He could have said, yeah, you're right. Because we, all, we are all going to die. But the question is, how do we die? I mean, you can die bold and strong, and you can face the enemy, and you can face the storms of life, and you can be an encourager of life. And that's what Jabez says. He said, I may have come into this world in distress, I may be surrounded by distress in this world. I know this word is speaking to some of you. He was the one that prayed to God and said, listen, oh, that you would wonderfully bless me and help me in my work. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from evil and from disaster. Isn't that the prayer that we want? Is that the same scripture I have up there right now? I have something different up there. Yeah, same thing I have up there. All right, so see where it's underlined there? And I think it starts out with O. Is that right? All right. So one, let's just try saying it together, okay? All right, ready? Let's go. Oh, that you would wonderfully bless me and help me in my work. Please be with me in all that I do. Keep me from evil and disaster. Amen. Let's give a shout to God and the praises of praise in the house of God this morning. Blessed be your name, O Lord God. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name.